You all know the famous story in the Bible as the title, The Prodigal Son. It's the story of a kid, probably a teenager, right? He decides he needs to be on his own. So he goes to his dad and he says, Hey, I know I'm going to inherit something someday, so how about that? So he inherits what he inherits. It's amazing. The most amazing part of this whole story to me is the father said okay to this, but okay, it's in the story. It has to be this way. So he goes, you know, he wastes his fortune and he ends up in a pig pen, a mud hole, homeless, hungover. And then the scripture says, he came to his senses. Now, you know the story. When he came to his senses, where did he go? There's a one-word answer. Home. Home. What we've been talking about through this summer is home. What does it mean to be the family of God? And I want to ask you this morning, where is your home? You know, in the church, when someone dies, what do we say? They went home. Say that. Where's your home? I guess an even more significant question is who is your home? That's what we've been talking about. Today I sort of hope to conclude that so that next Sunday we can go back to our study of the book of John. Not that it's about a different subject, but we want to think about where are you home? And we've been thinking about this and we have repeatedly noticed uh, the one little word. That one little word is the family name, Rabbi. It's our identity in Christ. We are in Christ by the Spirit, the people who can address God Almighty as Abba. Please don't ever get over that. It is the most stunning, amazing reality conceivable. Almighty God, the creator of all things, is your Abba in Christ and by the Spirit. That's crazy. The one who uh, built the powerhouse of the sun, 
Well, actually, all he had to do was say, let there be light. All he had to say, all he had to do was have the idea of it, and his power is so powerful that he has the idea of it, and he says, let the idea be true, and it is true. And of course, the sun isn't even a big star. The universe, uh, I'm sorry, do you know where the end of it is? No one knows where the end of it is. That vast thing, the ocean. I think I've probably shared with you that I like to watch surfing movies. Surfing movies are movies where people surf. <laughs> not, not the 1950s beach blanket bingo surfing movies, the ones where people actually surf. And they surf on those giant waves, waves that are like four times the height of this building. Like you can barely see the guy on the wave. Think of the power. Well, that's why they do it. Because they love to be in the middle of that power. But a wave, even the giant 100 foot high wave, a wave that would destroy this whole city if it happened to cross over us. It's a tiny, 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 tiny thing. And the power of that wave is an immeasurably small fraction of the power of God. That God invites us in his Son and by his Spirit to address him as Abba. If you get nothing else out of coming here today or out of coming here all summer, if that's what you've been doing, I hope you will remember that. Because that is literally the most amazing goodness I can possibly imagine telling you about. That is the gospel in one small word, as Martin Luther said, the one little word. The one little word that flattens all the efforts of Satan. We will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Not by us, through us. His truth, the truth is the one little word, Abba. We're the people. God has sent his, the spirit, this is from the book of Galatians, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. We're the people who stop striving and look to God. I've said it a thousand times, I'm sure, but if you want to understand how to live the Christian life, there's really only one activity, and that activity is praying. Praying. The activity is not 
witnessing. The activity is not coming to church. The activity is not reading your Bible. The activity is not all that giant long list of things you do because you're a Christian. The thing that summarizes the actual life of a Christian is crying out. Abba. We are the people who rest in Christ. This is our identity. In that same passage where he says, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. He says, we are no longer slaves, but beloved children. We no longer relate to God by a long list of commandments and rules. We come to God in the spirit of adoption as his children in need. We don't provide for God. God provides for us. He's our Father, our Abba. And the life of a Christian is the life of simple faith, simple trust. That's why Jesus said, unless you're like a little child, you're never going to see the kingdom. Only people who simply trust in Christ see the kingdom of God in Christ. Only those who... The Spirit of God in us cries out, Abba, Father, our believers. The very essence of this life is a life of resting in Christ and looking to our Father, our Abba, for what He provides. This turns religion upside down just so you remember, because we are lost on our own. We're the prodigal. We're making our own way. Thank you very much. We don't even see how that's going to just lead to a pit, but it does. And we, we want to earn it. We want to deserve it. The very idea of grace kind of offends us. No, I don't want you to give me something I don't deserve. Yet. That's what Jesus is arguing with when he says, unless you become like a little child, you don't deserve it, but I'm giving it to you. I'm your father. Your father doesn't give you stuff because you deserve it. He gives you stuff because you're his child. And so we have been reconciled to God by the blood of the cross of Christ. And because now we've been adopted, we have the spirit of adoption, we cry out, Abba. We don't cry out, here's what I've done for you lately. So you should respect and pay attention to me, God Almighty. That's religious. We are not religious. This is not a religion. This is a family. Last time I think I said this is not a business. This is a family. Uh Uh-huh. It's also not a religion. It's a family. We rest in Christ. That's who we are. Come on home. Come on home.
When you come in here on Sunday morning, that should be a homecoming. That should be a... Man, I'm so glad to get out of that stupid world. That stupid world is stupid. And it is so refreshing to be with the other folks in my family who know my Abba Father. And we can look at each other and go, oh yeah, Jesus. Oh yeah, the Spirit who dwells in us and among us. And we can sing we can sing. <laughs> because this is our identity. This is who we are. This is the family we belong to. And this family has little meetings like this going on everywhere. So great. You can, you can come down here on your vacation. I guess some of you are probably here on your vacation. And... Yeah, same family. Same family. Because our God is our Father, we have a source in this life that is not only present with us when we're gathered together to meet here, but also in our life in general, Christ is our source. Here's the thing we've got to get over. I am not my own source. What I receive in life is not what I can personally scrape together or earn or steal from anyone else. Christ is my source. Now, I'm telling you this, this is a fact. This is a fact. It does not depend, the truth of that statement, Christ is our source, does not depend on whether you notice it's true or not. It's always true, even when, as we often do, you fail to see it. It's still true. If you're the child of God, you're the child of God. And that's always true, even when you're out acting like an idiot. Like God is not your father. And you don't know Christ. You've probably been out there acting a little like that some this week, I imagine. That was a confession, in case you don't know. Because Christ is our source... I want to talk about four things we have in Christ. Four things that Christ purchased by the hard labor of the cross. He bought for me and you. And we possess these things. That is a fact that does not depend on whether we notice that we possess these things. But what I want to do is invite you to notice that you possess these things so that you receive more of the advantage of possession. 
Does that make sense? I want you to know some of these resources that you have in Christ. Do you know? I'm going to talk about four things. But here's something the Bible says. If he gave his own only son for us, will he not also freely, along with him, give us everything? Do you know that because you are in the family of God, there is an inheritance that in the end, this family will possess all things. Not some things, everything. Not most things, everything. There is no good thing that we will go without. Well, that makes perfect sense if our Father is the God of all things. If the God of all things is the one we call Abba, then how rich are you? Now, when I was a kid, I remember some conversations about how we should spend our money. And when we had those conversations, our father reminded us whose money it was. <laughs> but if your father's rich, you're rich. Especially if you have a good father. You can imagine the prodigal son, you know, when he said, okay, now, I'm thinking this is a bad idea now. I'm going home. You know, there are some fathers in this world from whom he would have received a different kind of welcome. Am I wrong? You know, when he went home, his father, like, ran out. He was so glad to see his son coming home. He ran to meet him. He behaved in an utterly undignified fashion for an old man. He behaved in this horrible, undignified way, running out to embrace his son. There are some families where that wouldn't happen. You might have grown up in one of those families where that sort of thing didn't happen where your father wasn't particularly happy to see you. But you have a new one now. And he is happy to see you every time. When you come into the throne of grace, you can come boldly before the throne of grace according to God's word. You can come boldly that, like it's your throne of grace. You can go in there and talk about our money all day long and God is just happy to see you. Because you are in Christ and you have been given the spirit of Christ crying out, Abba, Father. And every time you go, he's like, oh, wow, I missed you. It's been a while. And he is glad to listen to every last stupid thing you ask for. 
My father used to tell us when we'd ask him about, well, I wish we had one of these. He'd say, well, why don't you wish for something good? If you're going to wish, wish big. Go right into God, wish for everything. I, he doesn't care. He'll give you what's wise to give you. He'll provide for you perfectly in every way all the time. He's doing it whether you notice or not. He cares for you. So the scripture says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Whatever you're worried about, just throw it over. Now, I didn't get to my four things, so I better hurry. Christ is your source of security. And if anything, what I've been trying to teach us all summer is you are safe in him. You are safe in him. You are secure in him. Nothing can actually threaten you if you are in Christ and God is your father. So I want to ask you, what are you afraid of? What threatens your security? Here's what threatens your security. A bunch of stupid stuff. A whole lot of things that don't actually threaten your security. Because your security is guarded by the creator of all things. Your security is protected by Christ himself, who has all power and all knowledge and loves you with a perfect love. You are safe in him. Do you realize that if you learn how safe you are, you become a ridiculous Christian. You become a bold witness. You become a powerful person, period. Because you are not worrying about what you can do and still be safe. We are afraid of so many dumb things. We're afraid of failure. You ever worry about what if I can't do it? You, you want to do something that's important to you, and you, well, what if I can't do it? Some people don't do it because they're afraid they can't do it. That fear can paralyze you. Whatever, and I don't even know what it is that you want to do. What if I can't? What if I'm not a success? What if I fail my test? Blah, 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 blah. Let us put that on the scale. Fear of failure. Is it really actually possible for you to fail life? No. No. You can fail in this world, and if you are in Christ... You have it all in the end. When I was uh, young in business, before I went into ministry, I managed a business. I was the manager of this business, and it failed. I want to tell you something. I had not, up until that time, experienced any kind of significant failure. 
I always did real well at everything I tried to do. And then I went into the real world and the very first thing I tried to do failed. It was hard. It was difficult to deal with. It was stressful. I was making calls to our customers, begging them to pay us the money they owed us because every day I was getting calls just like it because we had past due bills because people, we had past due bills on every side. It was like I was getting buried in past due bills. And this business was uh, like a mechanism for handing our money out. That's not what you're after. It was a failure. And in the middle of that stressful situation, one day, one day, the spirit God has given me crying out, Abba, Father, one day, Help me to ask this question. What if they, meaning like the world, what if they get everything? What if tomorrow we are left with nothing? I want you to ask that question right now of yourself. What if tomorrow you wake up and by some crazy way of the world, you have nothing. Here's what I noticed when I asked that question. No big deal. No big deal. I could wake up tomorrow with nothing. And I want you to know that in that situation at that time, that was a real actual possibility. And I could wake up tomorrow with nothing and I would be fine because I am standing on the rock of my salvation. And in the end, I could have nothing today, but in the end, I have everything. And if I go through a time of nothing, it's because God is giving me something by giving me nothing. And so no matter what happens, no matter what failure I have to endure, no matter how hard I strive and strive and strive and don't get the thing I'm striving after, I have everything in him. I am safe. I do not need to fear that failure. And when I don't have to fear failure, I can boldly act. It is power to notice the grace of God in Christ. What are you afraid of? Some of us are afraid of rejection. What if they don't like me? Some of us could care less about that, but some of us really dread. What if I put my best self out and people go, ew. Some of you, I say that and it makes you a little afraid. Who's accepted you? Who's accepted you? God Almighty. And he doesn't just accept you. (laughs) 
His acceptance is actually that unconditional kind, that kind that makes us a family that can share grace, that can say, well, you're my brother, uh, and I accept you, and that acceptance has no conditions. You don't have to behave yourself to be accepted by God. In fact, if you're trying to behave yourself, he's got a problem with you. If you rest in Christ... You're it, Abba. Do you realize that if you notice that God's unconditional acceptance, which has been placed upon you by his sovereign choice because of the blood of Christ, that if you realize you possess that, you can actually do what's right for people without regard to whether they will appreciate it, like it, accept you, or reject you. And you can have the power of freedom from that insecurity if you remember Abba. It's really that simple. We are safe in Christ. Now, here's the thing. You're safe in Christ. Period. If you're in Christ, you're safe. If you're in Christ, if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and the finished work of his cross, you have standing before God that cannot be disrupted or removed. You are safe in Christ. That is just true even if you don't notice. Even if you don't notice. I was listening to this sermon recently and it was about that sentence in Philippians where Paul writes, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Sometimes you read this stuff and you go, what, was he insane? To live is Christ, that Well, that part I get, to die is gain. Come on now. But it's true. And what this preacher said when he was preaching that text is, you know, sometimes we struggle. We struggle to say that. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is for me to continue to have the opportunity to put the very love of Christ on display to the people around me. That's to live is Christ. And to die is gain, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What could be better? That is true. And sometimes we struggle to say it. But even when you struggle to say it, it's still true. It's still true. It's still true. Do you you notice that I can act boldly because even if I get killed doing it, I'm good. This is why I keep using this expression, my life is settled. And so when we come in here, we're the people whose lives are settled. We do not have to act like raving lunatics. We do not have to go, uh, we do not have to be afraid of anything. We are secure in Christ. When we are afraid... Pay attention to that text we read today, 1 John. 
going to go back to it. First John. There is no fear in love. But perfect love, let me ask you, is there anything imperfect about the love we possess from God? The love that the Spirit pours out in our hearts, according to Romans 5, is there anything missing out of that? Any imperfections? No. Perfect love that love we possess casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever, here's the, here's the important thing. Whoever fears, whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now that's not to say if you forget this stuff and you let yourself fear that you aren't a Christian. It is to say that when you find yourself in fear, you're forgetting something. You're forgetting. You're forgetting. And so we gather together every, more, every Sunday here in the family, and we gather at other times in various ways. But every Sunday we get the whole family together here, and we go, Oh yeah, let's remember, I am safe in Christ. Perfect love. I have perfect love. What am I afraid of? And as I remember the love, as I notice the grace, as I pay attention to Christ, this is why the Bible keeps on saying time after time after time, it gets tiresome how often the Bible repeats, fix your eyes on him. who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What was it you were enduring again? We are safe in Christ. In this family, Christ is our safe place. That's who we are. And if you come into this family, we will not ask you or direct you or think it's of any value whatsoever to direct you any place except Christ for safety. I will not say you should save up a ton of money in order to be secure. Because I know I've been acquainted with some people who had a ton of money one day and the next day it just vanished into thin air. That is not safe. I will not ask you to say, oh, well, you just need to develop uh, the right kind of relationship with your spouse and you will find security in the love of your spouse. Well, I hope so, but it won't be enough. It won't be. However good your spouse is, you need a better one. Oh, and they need a better one too. However, I mean, some people focus their security in their family, their, phys their earthly family. Some families are safer than others, but 
here's something that's going to happen to every last one of them. They're going to die one day. My father died suddenly, really suddenly, in an airplane accident. And if my security was in that relationship, I would be lost. Now, it hurt. It hurts bad to lose my father that day. It hurt. But my security did not come from him. My safety, he did not provide. He came from Christ. And because I know he was in Christ and I'm in Christ, and I know we are good, safe, secure, even if someone dies, the power of that. In this family, Christ is our safe place. We're not going to ask you to look anywhere else. In fact, if we spot you looking somewhere else, we're going to go, it's over here. It's over here. What we do here is we rest in Him and we teach each other to rest in Him in safety. Wow, that was only the first one. I thought I was going to wrap this up today, but I don't think so. Christ is our source of security. He's also our source of understanding. He's my way of looking at the world. As we read, I think, a couple weeks ago from 2 Corinthians, we used to look at people with worldly eyes. We don't do that anymore. Now we see people with eyes of Christ. We used to even look at Christ with the eyes of the flesh. Not anymore. Now we see him for who he is. Now we see everyone and everything through the lens of the cross. You see how that changes our basic understanding of everything? How that creates a framework for seeing the world? And I don't have to complain about the world. I understand the world, and the world doesn't. I know the world is lost. So I don't need to demand that the world shape up its behavior as though it's not the world. I can see what they're doing and and cry for them. It changes my whole outlook to come through it as a lost sinner saved by grace and to see everything from that point of view. We're going to need to stop, but I just want to ask some questions and we'll maybe come back next time. What is your framework for seeing the world? When I went to university, I studied economics. I have a very economics kind of framework for understanding a lot of the world. Because I got trained, you know. What's your framework? In the end, Christ is the lens. The cross is the lens. The scripture is the lens. The word of God is the lens. How do you figure things out? How do you understand the meaning or significance of something? How do you get a big picture that fits the other things in? We're the family that trusts first in the Word of God. If you were here at the breakfast yesterday, you heard that was the problem. That's what happened in the garden. God said this, and Eve said 
this. Well, the devil said it, and Eve saw it. She saw, it says, she saw. She saw that the fruit was good for food. No, it wasn't. But she saw that it was. A fruit that will kill you is not good for food. But she saw that it was good for food. Her view of the world was incorrect. She saw that it was pleasing to the eye. Well, okay, it is if it is. It was delightful to look at. And she saw that it was good to make a person wise. Man, was she ever wrong about that. What, what is your viewpoint? Where does it come from? Because what she did was she chose her own perception over the word of God. The one who knows all, sees all, does all. <laughs> the one with the absolutely perfect, complete perspective said this, and she said, well, what I see And I think Adam saw her. So Adam chose for her over God. What's your lens? Do you depend on your own vision? Do you depend on the vision of scientific academia? Do you depend on this, that, a million different things? You have some, some visions that says this, and you have right in your own head another thing that contradicts that thing that you also believe. What's your source of understanding? In this family, it's Christ. And Christ alone. The Word of God. I'm not going to encourage you to go develop your worldview from any other source other than Christ. Now that doesn't mean I'm not going to encourage you to be a well-educated person and to know what the world thinks. Jesus himself said, be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. I, I don't want you to be stupid. I don't want you to be uninformed, but I want the lens you're using to be Christ. So that you see things truly. Jesus himself said, I am the truth. So if we want to know the truth, we see everything through the lens of Christ, through the word of God. I said I was going to stop and then I didn't. My understanding of everything is governed by my understanding of the Father's grace in the Son by the Spirit. Everything, everything. And the more we understand that way, the more truly we understand. Because he is the truth. All right, we really are going to stop. I'm just going to have to stop. We're right in the middle. I can barely stand it. <laughs> we have to stop. Time is up. Let me pray. Father, <laughs> you're so good. Thank you. Thank you for this family. Thank you for the love that we share. Lord, help us.
because we're not always very good at remembering and sharing and encouraging each other. So we pray, Lord, for the Spirit, the Spirit that looks to you as Abba and that looks to each other with the eyes of Christ, with the love of Christ. Thank you that these things are possible, that, that it is true, that in your sovereign grace you have reached even down to us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.